The cancer journey is unique for everyone. It's time to figure out our new normal, and there's no one-size-fits-all manual. Welcome to Unspoken Cancer Truths with John Cochran, because surviving is just the beginning. Welcome to Episode 74 of Unspoken Cancer Truths. I'm your host, John Cochran. For me, higher education has been a bit like marathon running. I've done a few, many, many years apart. Each time I finish a race, I think I'm never doing that again. Then years go by. I keep up with shorter distances. I love half marathons. It's a lot less of a time commitment. But then something happens that prompts me to do another marathon. My cousin had lymphoma in 2010. Then I had my treatment in 2016. Something motivated me. So a few months ago, I decided to go back to school, which is a little funny because when I finished my undergrad, I said, that's it. I'm glad that's over. I'm never doing that again. Then years passed and I got my first master's in education. In the past few years, out of a frustration in the lack of consistency when it comes to lymphedema research, and especially breast cancer-related lymphedema research, I decided back in April to dive into a second master's in public health which might also feel a little relevant due to all the challenges that have been surfacing over the last year and a half navigating COVID. For the past four years of navigating low-grade lymphedema, ordering compression sleeves has been unbelievably challenging, and I often feel like it's unnecessarily challenging. And I'll just set it up for you. This is how it usually goes. I place my order, I can now do that online with the one vendor my insurance company has for me to do that with. And because it's been challenging in the past, I follow that order up with a quick phone call. I make sure that there's a usable order from my doctor on file, meaning it isn't older than a year, like any prescription. And then I ask if there's anything else they need from me. Last time the person I spoke with said, no, this is... Mark does not needing pre-authorization, so the order should start moving today. Great, except they always put it through for pre-authorization, and it always gets rejected. And this results in the durable medical equipment company that I have to order through to use my insurance, canceling my order and making me start all over again. Except the second time I have to involve my insurance company. I have to call them and get them to call the vendor and insist that they process the order, which is covered by law. The supervisor calls, the order starts moving again, and ultimately, 30 to 60 days later, my compression sleeves show up in my mailbox, sometimes billed correctly and sometimes not. Great, more phone calls. So the process is insanely time-consuming, and it usually requires three to five lengthy phone calls on my part. But ultimately, I pay between $13 and $27 a sleeve. And depending on where we are in our deductible cycle, um, sometimes it's the lower number, sometimes it's the higher number. But still, not super expensive. The -the off-the-shelf sleeves that I wear can cost anywhere from $67.50 through a direct-to-consumer company where I pay cash out of my pocket to $131, which is what the company I order from charges my insurance provider. And then I pay a percentage of that. Clearly, 13 is better than 67, so there you go. 
The bottom line, lymphedema management is not cheap. Or apparently is it easy even when you're motivated to stay on top of it. I actually only learned that coverage of breast cancer-related lymphedema garments is required by law last year when I was going through this process of ordering sleeves, which I have to do, sadly, twice a year. Last year, the supervisor who was assisting me from the insurance company said, of course we didn't reject the order. We can't reject your order. We're required to cover that by law under the 1998 Women's Health and Cancer Rights Act. Now, don't even get me started about why we need a Women's Health and Cancer Rights Act to begin with. Let's suffice it to say... It's enabling me to not have to pay out of pocket for costly compression sleeves. What I didn't understand at the time was why ordering sleeves was consistently such a challenge, especially for something covered by law. As I was working on a policy evaluation project this quarter in school, I discovered exactly why this is, and I wanted to share it with you here so that if you find yourself in need of compression garments— Maybe you can avoid having to pay out of pocket if your order is rejected when it definitely shouldn't be, or it is otherwise just held up in the bureaucratic nightmare that is the ordering of durable medical supplies that are apparently not durable enough, yet too durable at the same time. So I knew The Lymphedema Action Network was working to advance the Lymphedema Treatment Act in both Congress and the Senate, and that's currently going on today. I had not really dug into the why behind the need for the act. So as it turns out, compression garments, so critical for the successful control of lymphedema of all kinds, are not covered as part of the Medicare statute. Because they don't last for five years as required under the definition of durable medical equipment, and they are also not a single-use item, they fall outside the statute. Hence my comment that they're not durable enough, not meeting the five-year criteria, yet they're too durable, they can be used more than once. As a result, these items fall into a Medicare gap that the Lymphedema Treatment Act is trying to close for all people with lymphedema, regardless of the reason. So remember, my sleeves are covered under the 1998 Women's Health and Cancer Rights Act. I have a friend who has primary lymphedema. He was born with it. Whenever he seeks options to manage this condition, he's told he has to pay out of pocket. He also has lower extremity lymphedema. The cost of his garments are three times what upper extremity garments cost. And while it doesn't serve insurance companies to not cover these items, because not having them may mean more severe and more costly medical treatments when lymphedema is not managed properly, they don't cover them because of this Medicare gap, which is really penny-wise and pound foolish. So the big takeaway from all of this is that if you're a woman with cancer-related lymphedema of any kind from any cancer treatment that you've received, you should be able to get lymphedema garments covered by your insurer. I have clients who order on Monday and have their garments by Friday, 
and they were paid for through insurance. I just happen to have an insurer who has the worst durable medical equipment provider as my only option for upper extremity garments. I was chatting with one of my professors this week, and she commented that when her mom was dealing with lymphedema, it felt like she basically just got a stern, watch out for lymphedema, doom-filled warning without much other support. And I really find that that is so consistent for so many breast cancer survivors in particular. And I really do get it. I had researched all the breast cancer surgical approaches, reconstructive options, lymphedema, and axillary cording as part of a Pilates master trainer program that I completed in 2012, which was long before my own diagnosis. You may have heard me say before, I told my surgeon out of the gate, I know too much and I'm probably going to be a pain in your butt. And that said, I knew before she did that I had axillary web syndrome just eight days post-surgery. And when I reported to my oncologist during my fourth chemo treatment that my axillary cording was advancing and receding during week two, it would, it would get longer. And during week three, it would start to recede again. He was shocked to find that I had 100% mobility and significant cording at the same time. Basically, it felt like there was a rope under my skin running down my the inside of my arm um, from like my armpit to my elbow. And he said he had never had a patient report this before. And of course he hadn't because we don't get enough education on axillary cording and lymphedema and all of the potential risks that we face. And people post-surgery don't know that they have cording. You know, you may think that you just haven't fully recovered from surgery. And if you're starting chemo eight weeks out from surgery, you may just think that there's a restriction from that's still carrying over from surgery. Or maybe, as is so common, we just didn't quite do all the exercises that were recommended. And we think that it's because of that that we feel this restriction, even though there's actually something else going on. So for some lymphedema, quote unquote, authorities have implied that this is something that can be avoided with mobility exercises post-surgery. And that is just really not true. Absolutely, we can reduce our risk of having mobility issues and restrictions. That is 100% true. But there is definitely a significant upside to doing the exercises. So please, please do them. But the reality is I did the exercises and I still get axillary cording. My body just produces scar tissue. It's just who I am. An axillary cording or webbing, as it's sometimes called, is believed to grow out of scar tissue. So if you're a bad scarer, then you may have a higher risk. But we just don't know because there's not enough research out there to support it. Now, also, if you had a seroma, which is a pocket of fluid that can collect post-surgery that maybe you needed to have reduced, like I did because I was in that category as well, Research is starting to indicate that that is a signal of increased risk for lymphedema. Now, my surgeon still tells me only 5% of breast cancer survivors get lymphedema. And she's a great surgeon. But on this one, she's just wrong. 
There's a local lymphedema therapist that tells me I don't need a sleeve because I have a less than 10% difference in the size of my arms. And I tell her that I am symptomatic. Without the use of a sleeve, my arm feels heavy, my hand can be painful, um, and these symptoms are definitely worse with the weather. I also have some discomfort in my ribs. Um, I will sometimes get some fluid in my ribs later in the day and the evening, and exercise is a huge, huge benefit to reducing that fluid. So at a 10% difference in arm size, the average person on the street can see if one arm is larger than the other. And that percentage can actually be a tipping point for permanent disability. It can be the difference between we can remediate and keep your lymphedema at a low grade, or we may not be able to remediate it and keep it at a low grade. It may have already extended to the next level up. Wearing compression, taking care of the skin, and exercising are all super important. And I was taught in lymphedema therapy certification training to treat patients when the difference in arm volume is greater than or equal to 4%. Now, that's not a difference that, you know, a person on the street is going to be able to recognize in another person, but that might be the difference of the heaviness in your arm or the a soreness when the weather's changing. That can be, those can be signs of really early onset of lymphedema. So it's not really the random number that one study suggested. And it's kind of maddening to see the inconsistency in research parameters, which is a primary reason that I embarked on this new education endeavor of getting my MPH. So in my research endeavors this quarter, I was kind of horrified by the real financial impact lymphedema can have on us as cancer survivors. And we all know cancer treatment is unfathomably costly. And financial counseling should be happening in every single oncology office on the planet before you are in the infusion chair. Not because we should be choosing between food or cancer treatment, but because we shouldn't have to empty our bank accounts, tap our retirement plans, if you even have a retirement plan, or file bankruptcy after the fact. Not to mention the stress of not knowing how we're going to pay the mounting bills if we live is just unnecessary. It is not something we need to be doing to patients, and we should be helping them right up front with options. There are options from drug companies. There are options from organizations in our communities. There are many options to get our bills paid, but we have to know what they are so that we can take action before it's too late. So one study found in two years following breast cancer treatment, patients without lymphedema had medical charges around $32,000, where patients with lymphedema had medical charges in excess of $58,000. This is $26,000 more in charges. That is a huge disparity for a long-lasting side effect that we cannot seem to put an accurate rate of occurrence to. I read over 30 studies this quarter on the topic of breast cancer-related lymphedema specifically, and I'm happy to share my reading list if anyone wants the citations to the numbers that I'm sharing here. 
So let's talk for a moment about the incidence rate of breast cancer-related lymphedema. Specifically, here are some statistics I saw cited in the literature. 6 to 63% of breast cancer survivors get lymphedema. Now, this was followed by a comment that the variation, the 6 to 63, because there's, you know, no ambiguity there, was due to studied populations, uh, the length of time that patients were followed, so the types of people who were followed, or the size of the study populations that were followed, the length of time people were followed for, and differences in measurement criteria, so differences in how the researchers determined what qualified as lymphedema. In some cases, they're using that 10% number, and that 10% number is a stage 2 or 3, depending. Um, So they're completely leaving out those early stages when the measurement criteria starts at such a high number. So the next one was 3 to 42%. A little bit better. We're we're about 20% smaller. (laughs) And I liked this one because they said only 67% of those with lymphedema had persistent lymphedema, which I'm not actually sure is even a thing. But what they really meant was that 67% of the people had that later stage lymphedema that also came with increased disability. So for 33% of the people they were studying, those people were managing a low-grade lymphedema, um, which is really where I want everyone to be. And in order for us to get there, we need to be followed consistently from the moment that we leave treatment or active treatment. A 2019 study was probably the most accurate because they looked at risks correlated to treatment procedures. So if you had a sentinel node biopsy, they said you were 0 to 7%. You had a risk of 0 to 7%. So sentinel node biopsy is one node, one lymph node removed. Just for, you know, giggles, the lymphatic system in your, what we call the axillary window, or like in your armpit, there's a collection of axillary lymph nodes. The estimate of lymph nodes in that area is anywhere from 20 to 30. So that's a pretty big number. So if you have a really small number of lymph nodes and you have one removed, that could be impactful to you. And the scarring of having had that node removed could also really be more the reason. But we don't have that much information. So 0 to 7% sentinel node biopsy. Axillary node dissection, which is more than one lymph node is removed, that risk jumped from 0 to 7 to 15 to 20%. Then they said if you had a combination of therapies, 25 to 40% is your risk. So if you had a sentinel node biopsy and you were in the 0 to 7% risk category, and then you had radiation you automatically jump up to the 25 to 40% range, which is a much higher risk for lymphedema. I think my most favorite thing that I came upon in my reading was the comment that the variability in the timing 
of breast cancer-related lymphedema onset and the variability and characteristics of the people who developed this form of lymphedema is currently an unexplained mystery. That was a quote from the research study, a peer-reviewed research study. Who gets lymphedema and how severe of a case they get is an unexplained mystery. So fascinating. So what can we do? So if you or someone you know has had lymph nodes removed or you've had radiation therapy, ask for a lymphedema consult. Even if you're five years out from treatment, ask for a lymphedema consult. Lymphedema can come on at any time. There have been people who are 20 years out who are ultimately diagnosed with lymphedema, and it could be that they've had it for 10 years and they just didn't know. Their arm was achy, they had that heaviness, they just didn't know the signs. So if you have had lymph nodes removed or you've had radiation therapy, ask for a lymphedema consult. So don't just ask though, I really want you to insist. I knew that the heaviness in my arm and chest was a symptom and I was really insistent on treatment and it has kept my lymphedema at a low grade. And I was with a client the other day that commented that they have had a neck and shoulder issue ever since their treatment 14 years ago. And recently she noticed that it's a bit less when she's consistent with wearing her compression sleeve. And for her, lymphedema has remained really low grade. And it was only when we started talking about it that she realized that maybe she should take a little bit closer look. And it's really amazing as human beings how much pain we accept before we start to question whether it is within our control to remove it. So if you get pushback from your medical professionals or you're unsure of whether you need a consult, I am always here to talk it through with you and help you create a plan. So that concludes this week's Soapbox episode of Unspoken Cancer Truths. I would love to connect with you over in my Facebook group, Surviving is Just the Beginning. There you'll find a community of past guests and group members who know what this journey is like. Knowing there are others with similar experiences helps us know that we're not alone. And there is a community of people with similar and diverse experiences waiting to meet you. Because surviving really is just the beginning. Thanks for listening and have a great week.